0: Hello Cornerstone, my name is Aaron Wardle. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm honored to be able to continue in our sheltered series. And we're gonna be looking at today, the life of Elijah. We're gonna focus in on a season of his life in which through a lot that was going on through crisis and chaos and isolation, he realized the importance of connection with God and connection with others. And as we begin, will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I invite you to be a part of this time, part of this talk. And Lord, I pray that this is more than just an educational experience, but this is an experience for us to encounter you. Lord, I pray for my friends, wherever they are, as they're watching this, that this may be a time where they hear your word of saying that we are not to just isolate alone, but that you meet us in the place of our despair and you lead us into hope. And Lord, I pray that this is a message of hope, that it is timely and that it falls on ears that are open And that you will lead us in the path of life and fill us with joy in your presence. Where the things that are of me be forgotten, but the things of you stay. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, amen. There's an amazing story in the book of 1 Kings. In chapter 18 and 19, it's this phenomenal story where we have Elijah. And the characters are like any great story. You have a wicked king, King Ahab who it says that he was one of the worst kings in the history of of Israel. From his father Jeroboam, he made him look like a good guy, even though he was really bad. And it says there was no other king that provoked the Lord to more anger than Ahab. So much so that the Lord had caused a drought to be in the land as Ahab had led the people to begin to worship false gods. To worship Baal and to worship Asherah as he married Jezebel. And she brought in the religions and the deities of her culture into Israel to lead the people away. And then we have the great prophet Elijah. And Elijah is an incredible man who has done so many things. And we begin to have this showdown. It begins with Elijah meeting with Obadiah. And Obadiah is a servant of the king, but he's a man of God. A man who has hidden away a hundred prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And Elijah says to Obadiah, go tell Ahab to meet me and get ready for basically a showdown. And so the two meet, King Ahab... And then we have Elijah meeting him. And when Ahab sees Elijah, he says, oh, there is the troubler of Israel. And Elijah looks at him and says, I'm no troubler of Israel. You're the troubler and you're in trouble. And he says, well, here's what's going to happen. I want you to gather 450 of your prophets of Baal and 400 of your prophets of Asherah and gather the people of Israel. And I want you to meet me in the morning on top of Mount Carmel. And there will be a showdown between your God and my God. And as they gather on this mountain in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, Elijah says to the people, choose two bulls that are going to be the sacrifice. And Ahab and the prophets of Baal and Asherah get to go first. And so they pick their bull and they make an altar. And what's going to happen is that they're going to put the altar out, but they're not going to light it on fire. They're going to call out to their God to be able to light that on fire of the sacrifice. And Elijah says to the people, for too long you've been limping back and forth between Baal and Yahweh and no more. You need to make a choice. Either God, the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is God, or Baal is God, but you can't worship both. So the prophets of Baal, they make their offering, they get it ready. And in the morning, as it's time for the sacrifice, they begin to cry out. And they cry out to Baal, and they cry out to the God of Asherah, and they say, rain down fire on this and light it up. And nothing happens. They begin to say it over and over. And hours pass as morning begins to to move into noontime. And nothing's happening. And the prophets begin to cut themselves. They begin to just cry out. They're dancing. They're limping around. They're crying out, cutting themselves, saying, rain down on this. And Elijah begins to taunt like an MC from 80s hip-hop. And he begins to say, well, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe your God's relieving himself. Maybe he just doesn't in the mood to answer your prayers. And finally, as the time goes on, they give up because their offering did not light up. Their God did not deliver. So Elijah takes and he rebuilds an altar that God, to God, Yahweh, already there. And he rebuilds this. And he tells them to bring the bull and he prepares the sacrifice for this time. And then he does something amazing. He says, hey, bring some water. And douse it with water. And they do that. Now, there's been a drought for three years in the land. So water is a commodity. So to waste it by pouring it on the offering is kind of of a, a big statement. But he does that not once, not twice, but three times. And they douse it so much that the bull is soaked, the altar is soaked, the rocks are soaked. And there's a trench of water all the way around the offering. And then he looks at the people and at the time of the day that is set by the Levitical law for them to make the evening sacrifice of oblation. At that very time, he cries out these words. In chapter 18, 36, he says, At that time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I've done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. The second he finishes his prayer, this is what happens. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. This is absolutely amazing that in this moment God answers his prayer and right there fire from heaven and he lights up the offering. And as the people see that their hearts are turned and then he turns Elijah turns and says seize the prophets and they actually kill the prophets right there. As the people are beginning to turn their hearts back to God Elijah calls down fire from heaven to light up the offering and it's like a mic drop but he's got an encore. He goes and he says to Ahab, you better get running because the Lord's about to bring rain. And so Ahab prepares to leave. King Ahab prepares to leave as he's been defeated. And Elijah goes on Mount Carmel and he says to his servant, go look to the sky and tell me when you see the clouds. And the servant keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it doesn't happen. And they pray and they prophesy. And then on the last time, the, the servant sees a cloud the size of a man's hand off in the distance And he says, get ready, the rains are coming. Three years of drought are about to end, another victory. And to top it off, as Ahab is in a chariot, a fast-moving chariot headed back to the city's capital, he's running and Elijah actually outruns him, sprints, outruns him and beats him there. So you got a victory on a mountain, calling down rain and outruns a chariot. Not bad for a day's work. And I think this is an amazing story as we look at and we see this victory of God. But as the chapter begins to turn, one of the things that's interesting is what is about to happen in chapter 19, I believe, is as amazing and as astounding and shocking as what happened in those other places. You see, Ahab in chapter 19, he gets to Jezreel and he speaks to his wife Jezebel, just saying her name. Jezebel, and all, and Elijah, and he tells her all that Elijah has done. And this is what she says. She gets a messenger, and the messenger says, she brings a messenger, and she says, you go tell Elijah that as surely as the gods are alive, may they do to me what he has done to my prophets of Baal and Asherah right away. And so what she does is she threatens the life of Elijah, And she sends a messenger to say, Elijah, you're as good as dead. I'm coming for you. Now, we've just seen what has happened before this, that Elijah has called down fire from God. That Elijah's outrun a chariot. That Elijah has called down the reign of God. And here we have this woman, this queen, looks at him and threatens his life. And what do you think he would do? Well, as I read this the first time years and years ago, I expected him not to care. But what happens is amazing. Because when he hears this threat from Jezebel, he takes off running. It says that he was afraid And then he rose and he ran for his life. He's just outrun a chariot. He's just called down rain after three years of drought. He's just absolutely lit up an offering. God did it, but he set it up in front of all these people. And Elijah now is in a place where he gets a threat from Jezebel, the queen, and he runs for his life to Beersheba in Judah. And then as he is terrified, He runs that journey. He's there. He leaves his servant and he said he goes another day's journey into the desert and then he slumps down under a broom tree and he says to God, God, I want to die. Take me now. I'm just like my fathers. I can't do any more. This is amazing that the Great prophet Elijah, that just saw all these things, is now taking a descent of despair. That he's in so much despair that he's actually saying to God, God, kill me. That in some ways he's having suicidal ideation of saying, God, kill me. I can't go on anymore. That the chaos and the crisis and the isolation that he had endured up to that point got him to a place that he says, I don't want to live anymore. And he slumps down under the broom tree and it says that he falls asleep. And he passes out. As the passage goes on, it then says that the angel of the Lord comes to him and wakes him up. Elijah, Elijah, he wakes up and he sees the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord hands him a cake of bread and a jar of water and says, eat up, drink. And so he eats it and he drinks and is able to sustain his body but he doesn't get up. He actually falls back to sleep. Elijah is so exhausted of everything that he's been going through that he takes the sustenance that an angel literally gives him and then he falls back asleep. Story goes that the angel of the Lord comes to him a second time and says, Elijah, arise and eat. And he eats the cake of bread and the jar of water and he says, for you have a long journey ahead of you. And he gets up and the in the sustenance of that food, and he heads a 40-day journey from that desert in which he was filled with despair. And he leaves from the basin of Mount Carmel where the, the, the showdown happened, and he's headed to Mount Horeb, which is the mountain of God. And he goes for 40 days, and he gets to the top, and it says he lodges himself in a cave. I love the double meaning of that. Lodging meaning that's where he stayed. But almost lodging like it was a place where he was stuck. He's in a desperate place, emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. And he lodges himself in a cave. And then the Lord says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah tells him, Lord, I've been, I have been jealous for you. I've done all the things you want. These people's hearts are wicked. They have left. And he says this, and he's repeated this multiple times in chapter 17 and chapter 18 and now in 19. He says this, for I alone am left. I am all alone. There's no one else but me, God. And God just listens to him. He says, meet me on top of the mountain." And so the Lord passes by him and Elijah is there as the presence of the Lord passes. And the story tells us that there was this wind that was like a hurricane and it began to just shatter the rocks. But the passage says that God was not in the wind. Imagine as Elijah standing there and the wind is blowing and howling. He's thinking like, oh my word, I guess God really is answering my prayer to kill me. And this is how he's going to do it. He's going to knock me off this mountain with the wind. But God was not in the wind. And then there is an earthquake, and it shakes the whole mountain. And I imagine he again thinks, this is how I'm going to go down. is going to be this earthquake. But God is not in the earthquake. And then finally, there's a fire. And Elijah must think, and I'm reading into this. Well, here, how, this must be how it is. God moves in threes, doesn't he? But God is not in the fire. And then after all of this, he's there, and there's quiet. And it says that after the fire, the sound of a low whisper came. It was silent. It was quiet. The chaos had stopped. And Elijah heard the whisper. It says he took his cloak and he put it up over his face. Maybe this is an Old Testament example, example of wearing a mask in public. Maybe he and God are social distancing a little bit. But he goes out and he puts the cloak over his face and he stood at the entrance and he hears the word of the Lord again. And the Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I love that he calls him by name. I mean, that had to be just hearing the Lord ask the question of what are you doing here, Elijah? And saying his name had to bring such an energy and a refreshing just to hear, ah just to hear the voice of the Lord. And Elijah again says, Lord... God of hosts, I've been so jealous for you. I've done all the things you want me to do. Your people have turned away, and I am alone. I'm the only one left. And then he even goes a step further here, and he says, and they're trying to kill me. And I don't want to pass on this, because what happens is, after the pursuit of God in the desert, the provision of God, After he is in his presence, Elijah is in the presence of the living God and he gets really honest and he says, God, I am all alone here and I'm scared. He's basically saying, I'm all alone and I'm scared. He's confessing to the Lord how he's doing in his presence. And then the Lord begins to speak truth and he speaks his word to Elijah and he says, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint him to be king over Israel. And Elisha shall be the prophet in your place. The one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to the sword. Jehu shall, shall, if they escape Jehu, then Elisha shall put them to the sword. And then he says this. Yet I have have left, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every every mouth that has not kissed him. What he is doing is in this passage, God speaks to Elijah. Elijah has confessed in the presence, God, this is how I'm doing. I feel all alone and I'm scared. And God said, Elijah, go back to where you came. Don't run anymore. Don't run in your despair. But I want you to go back to Hazel. And I want you to go back and I want you to connect with Jehu. And I want you to connect with Elisha. And what I want you to do, and if we look in this passage, not only is he anointing them that they may have a role to act, but what it's saying is I want you to share your burden with them. Share the burden that you feel you're carrying by yourself with these three men. And there's three of them because if something escapes one of them, the other one can handle it. If that one can't handle it, then the other one can handle it. But there is this command of God, not just to say, okay, I want you to spend 40 days here. I want you to get quiet. What he's commanding him is he's saying, Elijah, in your place of despair, here's what you have to do. You have to not run anymore in your despair because it only leads to the place of you wanting to die. What I want you to do is stop running. Go back where you came from. Connect with these three men. Share your burden that you've been carrying with them. And hear my truth, Elijah. You're not alone. In the midst of this, the chaos, the crisis, the fatigue, and the isolation had caused something for Elijah to come from the surface that that wasn't true. It had said in multiple places that there were these prophets that had been hidden away in caves. Elijah had Obadiah. Elijah had his servant. Elijah had these other kings. Elijah would find out later that there were 7,000 people that were with him in this. But he felt alone. All of that hit. He had this feeling that he was absolutely alone. And it led him to the place of saying, I want to die. What it shows is that isolation and fatigue can lead us to a dangerous, dangerous place of despair where we don't want to go on. And where we begin to believe a fundamental lie is that we are alone. You know, as I've thought about that word, I am alone, we are alone. You know, there's times where that's in our control. There's times where I say, I just want to be alone. But one of the things that I see in this that is harder is when I have this idea that no one's with me. That has a lot more sting than when I say, you know what, nobody's with me. As I look at this season of sheltered for Elijah, he goes from a mountaintop literally to a valley low, And he has fallen into this descent of despair. And one of the things that begins to happen is there's this need for him to recognize, and we see this example, that when we go into the desert of despair like Elijah did, that God pursues us into that place. Isn't that amazing that the angel of the Lord met him in that place? And that even when he was trying to, he was so tired he couldn't even wake up for the angel of the Lord. That's fatigue. When you have an angel beside you that makes you a snack, and you're so tired that you fall back to sleep, you may have some serious fatigue. But we see that the angel of the Lord, sent by God, provi- pursues him and provides for him. And then Elijah goes into the presence of God. And as, as he's in the presence of God, he confesses and said, Lord, here's how I'm doing. I feel all alone. I feel that no one is with me. And I'm overwhelmed. And I'm scared. And the Lord in that moment speaks to him, and he gives him a command not to. Bucket up, not to try harder. But he gives him a command to say, you're not alone. And so I love this, that in this moment, the core belief in Elijah that is leading him to this place of saying, I want to die, is because he's all alone. But the, what God is going is saying, I'm going to take that lie out and I will replace it with truth. Because Elijah, look, I am with you. And there's others with you. You're not alone. Stop running. Stop hiding and go back and share your burdens with others. Friends, there's power in this story. And even as I read it now, I really hope that the Lord begins to just illuminate his word and that you go to 1 Kings 18 and 19 and you begin to read that and see in this because I believe this is more than just a sermon in our series, but I believe that this is a message for right now. And I would be so bold to just say that this is a message for absolutely for you, for me, for our church, for our community right now as we are in this season of chaos, of, 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 of crisis, and of isolation. That if you are overlaying the time in which Elijah lived when you have this, this, this uh, phenomenon, this natural disaster of, that they are dealing with of... They're dealing with the, uh, uh, the drought. And then they have uh, political division. Then they have war between even the tribes. Then they also are having issues within the religion that there is this chaos that's going on and people are isolated. That there's a parallel to what we are going through right now and what Elijah did. Because the season that we're in, I believe and I know that people are in a place of despair. And I don't know if that's you, but friends, it's all around us. That people are hurting and they're not doing well. And then in some ways, there's a crisis and it's not just the pandemic of COVID. And as I'm talking about this, I really don't want you to hear me say, ignore the issues of COVID. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is we need to not only be concerned with social distancing, with uh, wearing masks, with the issues that are happening in health, our physical health of a virus, but also to elevate that there are many, many, many people in our community, families, churches, and neighborhoods who are in despair and that they're saying, I would rather die. I wanna die. This last week, Brian went to a funeral at Calvary and the funeral was for a young man that was on his son's rugby team who killed himself. He was overwhelmed with what was going on. And that's a sad, isolated incident, but that's the second funeral this week that Calvary has put on for a young person in suicide. We see that there are conversations that we've had with law enforcement in cities to the north and to the south of us saying that one of the cities to the north of us experienced in June the number of suicides in the month of June that they had experienced all last year. Another one of the major major cities to the south, one of the detectives that I've conversations with said, it seems like we are at 900% increase in suicide. That there's articles that we've been passing around to our staff to say, hey, we have a crisis on our hands that's not just COVID, but we have that as articles and statistics that have come out in the last few months, say one in four individuals from the age of 18 to 24 have had thoughts of suicide. And that one in 10 have had suicidal ideation, which means taking it the next step further and saying, and here's how I would do it. I've had conversation with friends that go to this church who are nurses And we were sitting around the fire and I asked them how their shift was this week. And one of the things says it was really, really difficult because the ICU was filled with individuals who either had attempted suicide or had mental health issues. That something has shifted. And it was said that this is overwhelming. This is really different. We don't normally deal with this level of surge, but it's all around. There's articles that have come out on the idea of surge capacity, and they usually use this on organization. How much intensity can an organization handle at one point? But they're starting, psychologists are starting to apply this to individuals when it looks at our system of fight and flight and freeze to say when you're constantly in a place of crisis and overwhelmed, you actually get to the point where you can't take in any more of that crisis. And there's such a thing as called prolonged duress stress disorder. And what that means is when just thing after thing after thing after thing begins to happen, and people are in a place where they're just going, are led to a place of despair. That the prolonged duress that has happened because of the crisis And the chaos of other things and the isolation is actually starting to impact people in such a place. Some that had mental health issues before, but I've also had conversation with individuals who don't have a history of depression or anxiety. And they are saying like never before, they are wrestling with despair and even thoughts of death. Fighting that off knowing that suicide is wrong, knowing that suicide is not the answer, but they're so overwhelmed and physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted from all that is going on and the isolation of I don't know where I can turn that they're saying, I don't know what to do anymore. In his book, The Soul of Shame, Kurt Thompson, he talks about, who's a neurobiologist and psychiatrist, he talks about the brain, And He says this, he says, furthermore, the mind is as relational as it is embodied. By this, I mean that the very emergence of the mind's capacity to do what it does is critically dependent on the presence of relationships. From the day we enter the world, our neurons are firing not only out of the depths of our genetically influenced patterns, but also in response to a myriad of social interactions we sense and perceive when we encounter with people. Not only this, but the data from the field of epigenetics now suggests that human experience has a capacity to turn genes on and off. In this way, our relational interactions can actually influence our lives at the most basic biological level. What he is saying is we have been made for connection. We have been made for connection that our brains actually crave it. And that our physical health, our emotional health, our intellectual, our spiritual health is actually contingent upon not only times of solitude and sheltering, but also times of connection. It's imperative. And that's why as I look at this passage, I'm amazed and overwhelmed that the word of the Lord wasn't to Elijah to believe more to spend more time in prayer, but the word of the Lord to Elijah when he was in the place of despair that was so deep he wanted to die was to say, go connect with these three men and share your burden and know to the depths of your being that you're not alone. You're not alone. There are 7,000 with you, Elijah. As we look at this, It's important for us to see that God pursues us into the desert of our despair. That God provides for us even when we don't have the energy to leave multiple times. It's important for us to see that we need in these times and in these seasons to be in the presence of God and to really just be able to say, God, this is how I'm doing, I feel alone. I feel overwhelmed, I feel scared. I feel angry, and then to hear the word of the Lord that replaces that with truth if there are lies in it, but that God commands us to connect with one another. Paul talks about it to bear each other's burdens. Jesus talks about it it's over and over to love one another. But in this, in the time of greatest despair, the Lord says to Elijah, go connect. And so with that, I want to speak a little more and then I will wrap up. As we are in this season and there is crisis and there is chaos and there is isolation, and I've shared these stories. These are not stories from people far away. These are stories of people in our community. That conversation with just parents who are saying, you know what, I was holding on to hope that once school was going to start, we'd get back to some sort of normal. Having conversations with my kids who are 18 and 16 and others, that they were looking so forward to the connection of being with other people that when it got moved, and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, please do not hear me judging what the school districts have done. I'm going to put that to the side. That's another conversation not for this place. But one of the things that is imperative is what happens is when the finish line of hope gets moved, when people are saying, well, when things get back to normal and they don't get back to normal and they're staying in places of isolation, that it leads to despair. And often for some, despair leads to the place of saying, I just want to die. And what we want to do as a community is to look at the scriptures and to look at each other and just say as loud as we can with all that we have to say, you are not alone. You're not alone in this. You're not alone in this. And we wanna call you out of isolation. Now, how do we do this? I don't know. These are difficult times. But here's what I don't wanna do. I don't wanna let the obstacles of dealing with this pandemic, and you can fight those out however you want, but I don't wanna let the obstacles of dealing with this pandemic create obstacles that actually create a deeper crisis and isolation for people that creates another crisis where we have people that are killing themselves, that are people suffering in mental illness, that people have isolated so much that they're cut off from their community because that's dangerous. And so what I wanna do is if you're in a place today and you're saying, you know what, I have to admit, I'm in an emergency situation. I feel like Elijah where I'm under that tree and I'm saying I wanna die. What I'm gonna say to you right now is shut this off and I want you to call a suicide hotline and there will be a number that's up there on our screen. And I want you to call and I want you to reach out and almost as if it is a command from God saying, reach out and share your burden with someone else. If you're in that place of emergency, please don't wait any moment. But if you're overwhelmed with everything that's going out, please do that. For another group, if you're in a place of urgency where you're saying, you know what, Uh, I am not doing well and it feels like it's urgent and I really need to get some help from a a professional caregiver. One of the things we have, if you will go to our website and it's gonna be on the screen that you see our Counseling and Care Network. That if you go there, there's gonna be a list of, of, of trained counselors that can help you that will walk with you in this season of despair, helping you to see that God is pursuing you and will provide for you, helping you to be able to be in his presence so that you can vent and lament, but also hear his truth. And these will be the people that you can share your burdens with. For the last group, I wanna to speak to you and I wanna say for those that are just saying, I'm not doing well. For a moment of levity, we were going to, as we were talking about this as an exec team, we were talking, we probably each one, each of us need to have a little video of the staff saying, and I'm not doing well because all of us are taking turns descending into a descent of despair. I've taken my turn, all of us have. And the thing that is pulled out has been times in the presence of the Lord, but also sharing our burden with others. And this is what I want you to do, and I ask you to do this today. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to get in the presence of the Lord, and I want you to be honest with God on how you're doing. God, I feel alone. God, I feel alone. Say everything you need to say to him. And then I want you to listen to his truth and I want you to go to his word for his truth where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you though I am with you to the ends of the earth. Reading Psalm 23, that the Lord is your shepherd. He causes you to lie down in green pastures beside quiet waters. That he restores your soul for his namesake. That though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear no evil because why he is with you and he's preparing a table in the presence of your enemies, even in this time of chaos. And then from there, after you spend that time in the presence of the Lord, what I want you to do is, I want you to ask God Through his Holy Spirit, I want you to say, Lord, who are the three individuals that I'm to go to to share my burden with? And then when you go to them, I encourage you to say, I'm not asking you to fix me or fix this. I'm just asking you to carry this with me. Friends, I implore you, please do this, please. Please don't wait. Even if you're feeling fine right now, look at this as something that's preventative. If you're in that place of emergency, you know what you need to do. If you're a place of urgency, I do invite you, please go to the website and there are wonderful caregivers, counselors there. But for all of us, can all of us commit to, be, to just do what I said of getting into the presence of the Lord? lamenting, hearing his truth, but then taking it a step further and putting those words to actions and putting those actions words and actually calling, zooming, going to a house with masks on and sitting in the yard, going to a park, going to a restaurant where you can social distance. Don't let a mask and six feet separate you from the connection that you were made for. It is too important. And as we look at the life of Elijah and we see his great victories on the mountain, we see his great despair in the valley, may we realize that God meets us in it all. Friends, you are not alone. We are not alone. Let us move forward, trusting the pursuit of God, the provision of God, the presence of God, and may we connect with one another This is what we're gonna be doing at Cornerstone over the next weeks, we're gonna be rolling out how we do this in a way that is safe, but we wanna make sure that we move forward safely, but we also don't wanna forsake one pandemic for another. We wanna make sure that we are caring for one another. I bless you, my friends, as we close and I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray for the individuals that are watching this and for wherever place they're at, whether it's emergency, urgency, or just in a place of saying, I'm not doing well, or people saying, I may need this in the future, Lord. May you meet them right where they are at. And may we see our need for you and our need for each other. And Lord, I pray against fatigue, chaos and crisis and isolation. And I bless them with connection with God and the ability to connect with others. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.